Ladies and gentlemen, you're watching Rashkin Report, and this is Yuri Rashkin. Thanks to everyone who is supporting this channel on Patreon. You are my heroes. Patreon is a platform that allows uh, you to support worthy projects such as this one and others. And I'm excited to welcome to the program today, Professor of Moscow uh, School of Social and Economic Sciences, and I'm sure I didn't get it quite right. Uh, but Professor Grigory Yudin, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. Just call me Greg. That's much more simple. All right, Greg. Greg it is. All right. Um, we had uh, several questions that were submitted actually via Patreon, and uh, there's other questions to ask as well. Professor Yudin is very active, uh, I, I think, in university, but also at this point in the, in the social scene that is existing in Russia and in Moscow. So with that in mind, um, you are sociologist. How do you see popularity of Vladimir Putin? Where do you see the, the division in his support? Does it lie along the, uh, the age parameters or is it because you have Moscow and St. Petersburg and other large cities who are maybe not supporting him but small towns are supporting him? Or is the line cuts across maybe the socioeconomic level where you have the relatively rich versus the relatively poor? Or is it uh, people who are on the state budget and support? Which of these parameters do you see as most relevant? Well, uh, indeed, uh, some divisions or even cleavages uh, have emerged, uh, I think, uh, in, in 20, back in 2018. Uh, because before that, uh, we had a relative homogeneity uh, in putting support across uh, various groups. But since uh, 2018, uh, there are two major cleavages along two major axes, which are in turn correlated. Uh, one of them is the, is the division over the age, uh, which uh, bits uh, the elderly people against uh, the rest. Uh, the support for the president is concentrated in the, um, among the elderly people. Uh, 55 or older, particularly 65 and older. Uh, these groups, uh, I think they tend to authorize uh, any kind of action uh, for the president. Uh, they give him unconditional mandate and they of course tend to show up at the elections uh, and that gives them increasing weight. Uh, beside, the, beside the fact that uh, even demographically, uh, they constitute a large uh, parts of population. Uh, with the middle-aged groups, particularly with the young uh, people, uh, the situation is uh, very different. Uh, they tend to uh, be not, if, if not opposed, then at least tired of Vladimir Putin's uh, 20 years rule. Uh, and for that reason, they are kind of looking for political alternatives right now. And uh, in uh, 2018, 2019, and 2020, and even now in 2021, uh, we can see that all major uh, events uh, in Russian politics, they generate uh, opposite reactions among these groups, so the, the elderly people and the rest. That, this is one of the cleavages. Uh, the other one is uh, between those who uh, tend to um, watch the TV, which is, of course, completely state-controlled in Russia, 
uh, and uh, tend to stick to the worldview uh, promoted and produced by, uh, by, by the major chains. Uh, so th these people are uh, opposed to those who uh, uh, use the multi-channel um, mode of, uh, or yeah, well, uh, they they are engaged in a multi-channel mode of uh, consumption. They, besides the TV, uh, they uh, use uh, social networks to uh, to get a to get a sense of what is going on in politics. They use Telegram channels, uh, YouTube blogging. Uh, and uh, with these multi-channel groups, the situation is again different. And these two axes are of course correlated because the elderly people are of course more dependent on the TV channels. Whereas uh, the middle-aged generations, uh, the middle-aged people and the younger generation, uh, they are more likely to um, be uh, less, uh, less dependent on TV. And of course the youngsters, they don't want watch TV at all. They, usually they don't even have a TV set. How, um, how do you see your students responding to the protests that have been happening uh, all across Russia throughout over the past month uh, had to do with Alexei Navalny coming back and being immediately arrested? Not to mention that your students are some of the best and brightest in Russia. Um, how are they responding to this? Well, thanks for, for these words. Uh, I... Uh... I don't really uh, talk uh, too much of um, uh, politics uh, with uh, with the students, uh, just because it is uh, our commitment to get to have these things separated. University I'm not is you're place... politicizing them. I'm saying, are they saying something to you? Are you hearing attitudes? Like, what is the their point of view? Uh, I'm no. I'm just saying that we tend to uh, analyze politics with them, to uh, to study politics with them, to understand politics with them. Uh, but uh, like discussing everyday politics is not something that I would uh, really want to to do. But uh, having said that, uh, obviously I can uh, see that they are also uh, part of this uh, generation which is really really tired of. Uh, of Vladimir Putin and his elites. Uh, for, um, for this part of, um, of Russian society, for, um, well, if we're talking about my, my students, they are uh, 24, 22, 24 aged, uh, years aged uh, people uh, who uh, either moved to Moscow or they are Moscovites and they have uh, good education in social sciences. Well, the prospects for them are, I would say, quite dim. Uh, and they tend to understand that. They have a lot of ambition. They have a lot of, uh, a lot of willingness to contribute to life in the country. What, they, what they're seeing is they, they don't have much of, uh, much of perspective uh, before them. Uh, they face uh, the uh, people who are obviously less qualified, uh, who tend to regulate social life with uh, bans and prohibitions. Uh, and that, of course, irritates. Uh, and for that reason, of course, they tend, to, well, they are much more likely, of course, to support Alexei Navalny than Vladimir Putin. 
All right. And then um, as we can see, even though there was some talk about real teenagers and high schoolers being involved in protests, it sounds like it's been more of a traditional protest crowd in a sense that it's young people in their 20s that make up most of pretty much any protest worldwide for physical reasons. Um, so I would imagine some of those are your students and you know that they're being uh, kicked out of school for that, frankly. Um, what are they hoping for? Why are they going out there? Um, is this, you know, there's some people who cynically will we'll call this basically provocation to get some good people into trouble. Um, how do you view this, this balance and, and uh, the role that, you know, what are they hoping for? Uh, well, at this point, there's a kind of um, a constitution of a political subject. Uh, and of course, the only way for them to, uh, to manifest this political subject is to get out of the streets. There is not much opportunity in, in Russia to, to, do, to do that, to present yourself, uh, to get represented, to get uh, visible. So that, that's one of the uh, options left here. And for that reason, they, of course, want to, um, to constitute a political subject. Uh, it would be perhaps premature to say that it is already constituted. But without those manifestations, I mean, we have to compare them with like total silence. Well, total silence is, of course, much worse in, in terms of constitution of political subject. What they are doing now uh, is trying to uh, make it visible and actually succeed in that because the, uh, those manifestations that we had over these two weeks had happened uh, across the country in, I guess, 180 uh, cities which is a lot, uh, it is absolutely unprecedented in Russia. And that creates a kind of, you know, a kind of communication between, uh, between cities because uh, Russia is extremely centralized country. I, I don't know if your audience is aware of that, but um, well, this is the largest country uh, in the world, first of all. And then 90% uh, of the resources uh, excuse me, I cannot hear you. I understand people will say, I know Russia is a big country. Okay, but then you'll say they have, you know, 11 or 12 time zones. Wow, it, time zones. Go ahead. Uh, big yeah, this, this, is, this is extremely, extremely big. I mean, it's, it's really, really big. And, and then uh, you have to have in mind when you hear that 90% uh, uh, of the resources, 90% is concentrated in one single city called Moscow. And if you add St. Petersburg to that, that almost uh, totally uh, sucks uh, all the sucks out all the all the resources uh, available in the country. So this kind of movement it already creates a kind of uh, you know uh, communication between uh, different cities, where uh, they can see each other, where they can feel each other, they can understand that they are not isolated, that there is a movement uh, from below uh, across the whole country. And some of those cities, they've been showing, I mean, that's, that's really impressive. If you uh, take a city like uh, Vologda uh, or Tver uh, with uh, one or 200,000 of uh, inhabitants and you have uh, two or 3,000 uh, protesters on the streets there, that's like huge. Uh, so th this is the, the step to make them uh, visible. Now the question is, uh, what is going to be built on that? But that, this is something we're going to see.
Uh, and then I have to ask you, uh, do you see that these are connected to Navalny? Um, because now the state power seems to have finally embraced Alexei Navalny, who they ignored for years. And now they're like Navalny everything, but obviously it's not good Navalny. Uh, so is are these protests connected with his supporters? Uh, or is it bigger than that? Uh, at this point, Navalny is rather... Uh, um, representative for uh, the demands that they're trying to, uh, to voice. Um, I think he is, um, he's on the rise now uh, because uh, up until, uh, until last summer, a large part of the Russian population, up to uh, half of the Russian population was actually uh, totally unaware of who Navalny is. Uh, even though he has been active for like uh, 12 years. Uh, before, or maybe even 15 years. Uh, so he was literally non-existent for uh, large portions of Russian population. Now, uh, because of that uh, terrible poisoning, uh, he emerged as a political figure, as a political leader, uh, and people kind of try to, well, get, they get uninterested in him and seeing his defiance uh, seeing his readiness to fight for the country in, in the country, they kind of try to, uh, you know, build the, the, the bridges between their own demands and, and what he is doing. So at this point, uh, for those who are part uh, of, of this movement, I think they are still uh, evaluating him. Uh, most of them uh, feel a lot of compassion to, to him, but generally they kind of evaluate him. And, and for that reason, when you uh, go on those protests and uh, make a quick poll, and most of them would say, well, uh, I tend to approve of him, but I'm not like uh, really his, uh, his fan or his supporter. Uh, so this, this, these are things that are uh, in the making right now. Uh, Navalny is building uh, his, his image and his uh, constituency uh, right now. Obviously he, uh, he has successfully targeted the demands that are uh, out there uh, even uh, without him. And those are the demands for greater equality in the country, uh, for self-governance, uh, for uh, justice, for, um, for more just distribution of uh, resources, uh, for uh, careful attitude to, to the environment. Uh, so those are basically the, uh, the resources, uh, or, or sorry, the, the demands that uh, he uh, connects. All right. Um, Greg, let me ask you this. When protesters go out, they're met with force. That force comes from representatives of state, whether it's state police, state national guard, state whatever. And it's brutal because these people, uh, the protesters are unarmed. They raise their arms, say we're unarmed. And in response, they get beaten up worse. Um, what is the dynamic there? And why are uh, representatives of the state, what motivates people that uh, are representing the power in Russia? What is their motivator? And what are protesters hoping for? They're hoping that these uh, police is going to join them. Um, what what is the how does this uh, calculate it out? Well, if we are talking about the the ordinary members of the national guard, uh, they are not motivated by anything but command. Uh, 
this is just a matter of command. Uh, and I think it's going to get more brutal. Uh, and in this, uh, in this sense, I think uh, the example of Belarus, of the events that, that have been happening in Belarus in 2020, are a kind of, kind of role model for what is going uh, possibly to happen in, uh, in Russia. Because in Belarus, uh, it was obvious that in August there will be a, a clash. And um, uh, Alexander Lukashenko has actually spent two months uh, on uh, putting uh, the, the guards uh, in barracks and uh, making them extremely angry uh, and furious. Uh, Putin didn't have this opportunity because of uh, this blitzkrieg from Alexei Navalny, but he will have this opportunity and will, I, I'm sure he will seize on this opportunity. So there will be command, uh, they will be furious, uh, and uh, they, they will get much brutal than what we have seen. Uh, up to that moment. Uh, as for the protesters, uh, well, they're not. I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say that they are so naive uh, as to think that the police is going to join them. At least at this stage. Uh, but there's lots of courage and defiance, uh, and uh, some of them are really desperate. Uh, some of them are experiencing the situation as. Um, well, you know, uh, for a long, for a long time, uh, Navalny himself uh, used this. Uh, I don't know where he has taken it from, from probably from, from some movie. But he used the slogan: "This is the the final battle between the show, the showdown between uh, the good and the neutrality." So this is perhaps what uh, these people, some of them are not even uh, big fans of Navalny, but this is uh, what they're experiencing right now. They are feeling that uh, this is probably the last uh, chance to, uh, to stop the train, uh, to prevent what is, what is going on now in Belarus. And for that reason, sometimes they are, they are willing, they are ready to, to risk their lives or, or at least uh, their health. Uh, I, I get a lot of feedback right now from the people who have been detained or beaten up. I honestly, I haven't uh, heard of uh, a single person saying, well, probably that's the last time for me. Uh, probably that was enough. Uh, I'm not going to join that anymore. Uh, no, there's a lot of enthusiasm, uh, even from the people who got beaten up, uh, like their arms or legs broken. Uh, they are in hospitals now and they're saying, well, let me, let me recover. What does that tell you? That tells me that uh, in contrast to what I've been, what I've been witnessing for long years here, at this point, it might be pretty close to, to the showdown. Uh, because, uh, well, if you compare that to, uh, Putin has survived a series of protests. Uh, the most important of them, of course, in 2011, 2012. But those were mainly led uh, by the people who obviously had too much to lose. Uh, and, uh, and they actually betrayed their, uh, their constituents. Mm, now- uh, one of those people? Uh, the people who, who, who did that. Right, when, when they said, no, we're not gonna take over Kremlin, we're gonna peacefully figure this out and, and the way- yeah, uh, uh, you, I mean, you, you, need, you need the names. Right. Right. I mean, wasn't Navalny involved in that process already back then? Navalny was actually a pretty radical part of, of this process. He kind of tried to navigate. Uh, 
but he was uh, mostly among the radicals. Uh, not probably on the extreme radicals who wanted to storm the, uh, the, the Kremlin immediately, but he was uh, part of the more uh, radical uh, fraction, a fraction of, of, right. this, of this movement. So you think uh, this is getting like, to show down now? People like uh, Vladimir Ryshkov or Boris Nemtsov, uh, at that point, they made it quite clear that they are happy to gain some influence uh, inside the system rather than changing that. Now I think it is different. Now what we are seeing, uh, we are seeing both a different type of the leader who is defiant, who is not willing to, uh, to stay abroad, who is willing to change the country from within. Uh, and he is willing to risk his life. And he makes it absolutely clear that he is, he is ready to, to risk his life. He's consistent in that. And, uh, and that, of course, uh, has a lot of impact on, uh, on the followers, uh, on the constituency, on the, on the people in the, in the movement. Uh, and they, in turn, realize that probably it's not, not don't uh, have any, any more time to, uh, to give up or to temperate. Uh, this is probably pretty close to, to a showdown. Um, the, what is a showdown? There's going to be a, a real like clash. A movie and like Alamo and they like come out and like clock strikes noon. I mean, what are we talking about? Uh, we're, actually, we're talking about a, a clash between uh, very, very different visions of what kind of country Russia is. And these two visions are now being crystallized uh, in those uh, segments of population that I've uh, described earlier. One of them is really conservative. And basically, it is about like um, staying as, a, as uh, or keeping uh, keeping it as it is, uh, with uh, late Soviet years uh, being the role model. I would say late Soviet years plus the consumer society. This is something uh, you've got uh, here under Putin, and this this is probably one of his uh, ideals. I mean, you can see it clearly in the in the movie uh, film by by Navalny. Uh, his tastes are developed in uh, in, in this uh, in this environment in the, in the late Soviet environment. We have been um, uh, jealous about the the, the consumer standards uh, in the West. Uh, now he has both, and he's happy with that, uh, and uh, he doesn't want any change. He actually, wants to the, the time to to stop, and the the East constituency supports him in that. And we have a very different constituency uh, that is looking for alternative, that is looking for a different image of the country, doesn't want to get isolated from, from the rest of the world. It believes that Russia has uh, to play a key role in solving the global problems, uh, that Russia is actually not, it, it's a big power and has to be productive. It has to, uh, to provide solutions and not only the, uh, the problems uh, for, the, for the whole world. And they kind of envision uh, a different kind of uh, society. Uh, I, I was, uh, one, of, one, of, one of our studies demonstrated that among the younger generations, among the middle age, particularly among the young generations, uh, the role model is not uh, the, the late Soviet Union, uh, but rather the, uh, the Northern Europe. Uh, the countries where we have a lot of free, well, you have capitalism. Everybody likes Norway. 
Everybody. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Norway, Sweden, maybe even Germany. Uh, you have respect. Uh, you have respect for for the others. You have respect for the weak. You have respect for uh, for the environment. Uh, you have more equality. You have participation. I think respect is the really important word here. Yeah, but equality is also uh, is also important. Uh, just because the 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 level and the the external side of inequality in Russia, it's in fury. Uh, it's, uh, it's just de devastating for many people who are living. This is this is one of the reasons why the protests got uh, outside of Moscow. It's actually not not as uh, visibly seen in Moscow, where people uh, got used to uh, to protest. But in, in other cities, I mean, that's when you when you see all this luxury uh, in, in Putin's palace. That makes people feel like uh, really, really deprived of what they deserve, uh, and that's also part of the the image that you're trying to to project. So there's going to be a clash between these divisions. Uh, one, um, some somewhat exaggerating, you can put it as the past versus the future, but that's of course and an exaggeration. And, it, and it's interesting that you would say that because. From my observation on internet, a lot of people holding signs outside of Moscow, signs are saying Putin is a thief, which has nothing to do with Navalny, which, I mean, not directly granted, but I mean, it's not free Navalny, it's Putin is a thief. Um, so in all of, in conclusion, in all of these uh, things you have mentioned, um, I kind of appreciate the fact that you never mentioned responsibility of the Western society, because I do believe that, as the Russian expression says, rescuing of the drowning is the business of the people drowning, first of all. And I think it's wonderful that you're discussing all these things that Russian people can do to improve situation in Russia. Do you feel that there is a productive role for the Western society to play in this play? Uh, well, first of all, I think this is also a, a very important difference of, of this movement that is uh, nascent uh, now from, from the previous movements. Because now there is, a, I think, more or less clear understanding that uh, it is on us. Uh, it is on us and we have to, to do it by ourselves. And this is the, the message uh, given by, by Navalny himself. It doesn't really uh, count on uh, Western leaders. Now he is a global, he's a global politician. He's, uh, his name is known worldwide. He has uh, spoken to, uh, to some Western leaders, but he, that doesn't make him believe that uh, there's uh, uh, the West uh, outside uh, to save us. And I think the movement is, uh, is pretty much clear about that. Uh, well, um, I think that at this point, actually, uh, right now, as we are talking, I think there's a, a, a major event happening now because uh, the representative of the European Union, uh, Borrell, is now in Moscow, and he has requested uh, a talk with, uh, with Navalny, who is uh, now in prison. Uh, not only is not granted uh, this, this talk, currently, uh, he's going to stay until tomorrow, but apparently he's not going to be granted to stop. But uh, three European diplomats uh, are being uh, kicked out of, of the country uh, precisely at the moment when he is in Moscow. So that's, of course, uh, that's, that's of course an insult uh, to the European Union, a clear insult. Uh, and um, 
I think that uh, the usual rhetoric about human rights and democracy in, in Russia, uh, it is not only useless, but it mostly uh, is mostly used to appease uh, the, the constituency uh, in European countries and North, North American countries in North America. Uh, this is uh, why the, uh, the leaders of the European and North American countries are saying that. They, they have to, to make it clear for their uh, own um, constituencies that we kind of we kind of worry. Uh, the real change is going to happen when the rhetoric changes from human rights, democracy, and blah blah uh, to uh, the real threat that is prob probably uh, represented by by Vladimir Putin. Uh, because I actually do believe that uh, there is a real threat. Uh, a, a real uh, threat to the existence of, uh, of some of the countries, uh, well, at least in, in, the, in, in the Eastern Europe. Uh, are, you because... to, are you referring to like historical examples here where uh, a war uh, can be a solution to an internal crisis? Exactly. This is what, I'm, what I want to say. Uh, when there is a, a major internal crisis, a crisis in domestic politics, when there is a major loss of legitimacy, uh, I think Putin will be really, really uh, tempted to start a major war. Uh, and uh, what he's doing now to Navalny is dangerous, not because uh, this is a repression of democracy or human rights, but he uh, really cares in the US or Germany about uh, human rights oppressions. But because this is a, a real threat uh, to, to the global order. Uh, he has uh, threatened uh, the world with, uh, with the nuclear war already two times, if I'm not mistaken. And I think, uh, well, it might be wise to take it seriously. He's not joking. Uh, this is not a joke. He actually lives uh, in a horizon where he wants to defer this war but I think he believes that it is uh, totally unavoidable. And when he feels like he's uh, existentially threatened uh, from inside, perhaps, he will start this war. So this is a real threat. And I'm waiting for, for a change of rhetoric, probably for a change of leadership uh, in the country, in the countries in, in, in Europe and North America, uh, to realize. That. And that will be probably a, a kind of change in or turn in, uh, in the global order. That I think is more important than this. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I understood that. What change are you waiting for in rhetoric? From what to what? From human rights and democracy uh, to dealing with well, a real dealing threat. Dealing with a threat that is Putin's Russia. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's well. Uh, you know, I, maybe we can do both. Um, Professor Greg Uden, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, thank you so much for informing the audience, and uh, thank you for providing guidance to your students. Um, I, th I think it's wonderful. Uh, my guest today was Professor Greg Yudin of Moscow Higher School of Social and Economic Sciences. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for thank watching you. Rashkin Report. And until we meet again, remember to subscribe. And thanks to everyone who's